Hello, loves! Welcome to the Art of Body Language podcast, where we empower and uplift the dance community while helping them understand their injuries. I am your host, Sherelle Williams, trainer and student physical therapist that helps dancers avoid injury and improve their wellness so they can be the strong and fearless performers they were destined to be. Before I begin this episode, I would like to invite you to reach out to me at theartofbodylanguage at gmail.com with any questions about injuries that you may have or find me on Instagram at smile underscore love underscore lift. Please make sure that you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. I want your feedback so I can continue to put out content that helps artists. I am here to serve you. Enjoy the rest of the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Art of Body Language. Today you are in for a treat. We have um, quite the artist and entrepreneur for you today. Today we're sitting down with Eric Taylor. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you asking me to be here today to talk with you. Thank you. Yes, I... I'm really excited about talking to you because you are doing so many things. Like we've got the the dance company, then we've got a nonprofit, and you, you have your your for profit business. <laughs> yes, I have a lot going on. I really am running three separate businesses right now. So, um, yes, I'm the artistic director of Eric Taylor Dance and. Eric Taylor Dance is, uh, was founded here in New York City in 2006, so we've been around quite a quite a long time now. And then uh, I formed ETD Outreach with a mission to use dance as a way to bring communities together to heal and inspire and give residents of supportive housing sites a platform to express themselves through music and dance. So I formed that program, I think eight years ago already and then I am the founder and inventor of Burn Bar which is the first truly portable ballet bar. I patented that a year and a half ago so that's a a startup company and a completely different mindset from running a 501c3 non-for-profit and this is a completely different mindset for me to uh, be running a, a uh, startup company for profit. Yes, and so for those that know me, you know, when I heard about Burn Bar, I'm automatically like, this is great for the future, being able to have this and be able to go to um, houses or, you know, rehearsal studios and really being able to look at, you know, dancers on the spot right there with the bar. You know, because it's one thing when you, when you're in class and then when you're also in maybe say a uh, physical therapy mm-hmm. uh, space. Yes. And I also like the fact that it's portable and the fact that you can't really cheat because it's not connected to a wall. It's not huge. Exactly. It's not connected to a wall. So if you're not, if you're not holding yourself up, if you're not in place and in alignment, it's not going to go down. So I think for wellness purposes, and I'm thinking like training and, um, just really honing in on the dancer and making sure that they're in place um, alignment-wise. It's going to be awesome. I'm so excited yes, for you. Yes, thank you so much. I have plans to purchase once I, you know, have a, have a career. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, Burn Bar is the first truly portable ballet bar. It weighs 
about three and a half pounds. You can put it in a bag, um, and it comes in a tote bag, and you put it together within 10 seconds. It's four steps. So you open the base, you extend the pole, you twist on the bar, and you have a portable ballet bar where you can truly do bar fitness, physical therapy exercises, or classical ballet, yeah. or whatever kind of dance you want to do. But it's true. It does force you to use your core. Mm -hmm. It um, it will start sh literally shaking. It's very intuitive in the fact that if you're not on your leg, you're not in alignment, and you're not using your core, and your navel isn't to the back of your spine and up, and energy out of the crown of your head, and you know, dancer uh, alignment, you know, it'll start shaking. The, the bar starts, tells you you're not using your core. Yeah. So that's what's wonderful about it. So very difficult for beginners and people who are just starting out in dance or bar fitness. So I, I tend to think that it's an intermediate to an advanced level tool. Right. But for, it is good for, it's height adjustable too, so kids can use it. Okay. But because it isn't anchored to the floor or anchored to a wall, people get all flustered and they're like, well, it's not weighted or it's not, you know, you can't pull away from it. And I said, well, why would you want to pull away from the bar? Yeah. And they say, well, to do a tuck. And I'm like, well, a C-curve at a ballet bar isn't even proper alignment. So why are you doing that anyway? Right. That's not, you know, safe to do that. I don't understand why anybody would want to do a C-curve out of pulling away from a bar when you're not on your center and your weight is completely shifted back. And trying to do exercises from that place is completely wrong. That mindset is, it causes injury. Yeah, I totally agree. And just in like hearing you talk about it, I'm thinking, you know, the purpose of bar is to prepare you for center. Where there is no bar. Where there is no <laughs> bar. So you being like, oh my God, it's not anchorable. Great. That's, it's there. It's prepping you to make sure that when you get to center, you're ready to go. Right? Absolutely. When you get on stage to perform yes. again, there is no bar. So I think that it's awesome. Thank you. And wonderful. I'm very inspired on literally all levels of you. <laughs> there's nothing like it on the market, really. There's, um, what, where it is in production right now is, um, we've done a lot of user testing, a lot of surveys, a lot of, um, going out into the field and, um, asking dancers, uh, what they think in ballet bar instructors mm -hmm. and bars its own animal right and then dance the comp dance competition world is its own animal and then concert right. dance <laughs> and broadway is its own animal oh, so yes. but so what's wonderful about this bar is that it can hit so many different markets right. and the bar fitness industry is a billion dollar industry now and women take their you know lower part of their body very seriously mm -hmm. they want <laughs> To be work, you know, this, this bar works your glutes, your core, and your thighs. That's what it works. I mean, and, and your releve, your calves, you get, it's a whole body workout, but for bar fitness aficionados, um, or bar freaks, <laughs> they are really fanatics. I went to the, the World Bar Summit. I didn't even know there was such a thing. I was going to say, I didn't know that either. Yeah, it's in what? Fort Lauderdale once a year. Come on, my They invited me to be a guest. I didn't have to pay, and I set up a table. And it was really funny how people reacted to this bar. 50% of the bar fitness industry 
the younger half, mm-hmm. thought it was amazing. Okay. The veterans who've been in the bar fitness industry for 20 plus years, descendants of Lottie Burke mm-hmm. and that, you know, classical bar, cause she invented bar fitness and she, but she was a classically trained dancer. Right. So there aren't a lot of classical bar positions in bar fitness. I don't know how familiar you are with bar fitness. Not super familiar. Yeah. Um, I just know it kind of popped up. <laughs> yeah, it popped up. <laughs> Out of and nowhere, and it took off. It's all over the world yeah. now. It is a billion-dollar industry in New York City alone. I mean, there's so many different franchises. So it is a daunt at that being an entrepreneur and starting a company from this is something that I thought of. It was an aha moment for me. It literally was just like, you know, two ho- two two negatives that made a positive. Yeah. So I sprained my ankle and I came out of the emergency room with crutches. And I and they said the doctor said to me, "Well, you're not going to work out for a long time." And I was like, "Damn right, I'm going to work out. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> I can't not work out. What are you talking about? I will find a way." So I was I I was on crutches and I was walked out of the emergency. I remember Northwell Hospital which used to be St. Vincent's there on 7th Avenue and 14th Street, right there, or 12th Street. And um, I got to the red light, and I was holding the crutches, and the, the leg that was injured, my ankle that was um, sprained, I started doing attitude swings, like, what? with the two crutches. I and I thought, oh, my gosh, well, you don't even need to. You could just use one crutch and, you know, do, like, glute isolation Mm -hmm. exercise even if you're injured so i thought oh my god this is like a thing but i didn't know what it would involve and how it it would evolve besides you know a bar and there are those weighted bars and gyms that people use and equinox uses those for their bar class it is has you literally just have to hold a a weighted bar oh okay I you know what i mean yes and they're different sizes and i mean different weights and um but it's a body bar, and they use that for bar exercise. There, there's no, because there's no space. There's no space for bars. Either studios have mirrors. They can't, they don't have storage space for big, you know. Like the bigger, bigger bars. bars. That, there's no storage space. So this really solves a problems across the board. Most definitely. All the negative space in a studio can now be utilized with burn bar. And so, anyway, I was... I ha- I was getting a vitamin infusion at home, and I I do get you know infusions to help super boost my immune system, and right. you know, and there's this portable IV pole that weighs like two pounds. It's ultra weight aluminum, and I saw the nurse opening up the the and it's a tripod base, and then this the, she twisted this pole, and then all of a sudden it got really long, and I thought, wow, I wonder if you combined the crutch with the IV pole, <laughs> you would have a portable ballet bar. Nice. So I hired an engineer to engineer it, and the first design sucked. The second one was horrible. The third one, it was starting to come along. Okay. And then by the fourth iteration, it was, we have burn bar now. That's crazy. It's really cool. Can I say something really quickly? Sure. I think, oh, I love that story. I think 
as entrepreneurs, even as artists and creators and entrepreneurs, we're always like, oh my God, it didn't work the first time. And we get discouraged and we want to stop or we're hard on ourselves. And in that story, you said it took four times and it finally got to that point. And I was just like, that is so important for people to hear. Absolutely. You know? It was trials and tribulations. It was you know, nope, this one doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And then I don't, I think there's, there's been at least five prototypes and it's still not perfect yet. There's still a couple nuances and that I'm a perfectionist. I think part of being an entrepreneur is being a perfectionist. I think I, I tend to hone that energy of being a perfectionist and wanting it to be better and better and always thinking ahead of what the next design is going to be and the one ahead of that one and how that iteration is going to be. And is it going to be a smart bar connected to your Apple watch? And is it going to take your temperature and your heart rate or, you know what I mean? Like I have ideas that, you know, (laughs) for days with this. And so, you know, it's, it's, a, a work in progress and to be an entrepreneur you have to it's everything's in the details everything is micromanaging you know i and it's i say that timidly because i don't think it's good to micromanage everything but i think that's you know that has to be in you to be able to do multiple things to delegate to you know craft everything and to be able to have be intuitive enough to have ask for help yeah. and have great team members. Most definitely. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to bring something up to you because I have, um, I listen to pod- other podcasts as well uh-huh. and have a few mentors and, um, was it Aaron LeBauer? He said that perfectionism, for being a perfectionist will kill your business. Mm-hmm. 80% is enough. Mm-hmm. And then he went on to, also, I would like to say I'm also a perfectionist and I'm it's something I'm working on. But, you know, he was saying that sometimes as perfectionists, we won't ever put it out or we'll, we'll right. wait, wait, because it's not perfect. Right. But you have to also realize that at 80%, you could be helping someone. Imagine who Absolutely. you're helping at 80%. You get that feedback and then you continue to make it, to make it grow. So that's something that I was like, Oh, I had to go through and thought about that for myself because I'm everything you said. It's me all day, 100%. So I just want to share that with you too because you know, bless me. Maybe it'll bless you as well or you know, whatever. Yeah, no. I mean, and, and I, I have to check myself all the time because um, I like things to, to, to work. I yeah. like things to, you know, and I, yeah. I do get stumped and trip over myself sometimes when I have, and I need to, I think the definition of a miracle is to be able to see things from a different perspective and mm-hmm. to step out of your own shoes and to see things from, that's a real, mm-hmm. the definition mm-hmm. of a miracle to see things from a different perspective. Oh, yes. And, um, I'm getting Course of Miracles on you right now. <laughs> Marianne Williamson. Oh. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, so I do try to see things from a different perspective and then more light bulbs and aha moments happen. So I see, you know, um, see the problem from a different angle and try to problem solve. So yeah, I try to keep my perfectionism in check. <laughs> 
Oh, it's all good. Listen, I feel like every every artist can understand that. Yeah. An entrepreneur. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about your dance journey. My dance journey. Yeah. Wow. What? I started out as an actor. Oh, and, hello. <laughs> in LA. I'm from Los Angeles. Didn't see that coming. And I um, studied theater and I was a great mover. And I, for as long as I can remember, I have been producing, directing, choreographing from when I was 12 years old, making little 25 cent tickets, getting the parents together, got producing, auditioning the kids in the neighborhood. Yes. And now flash forward, I don't know how many years, I'm not going to tell you, but you know, we're going from the eighties to now. Okay. Let me just say that. But, um, I'm just doing it on a bigger scale now. Yes. I'm doing literally the same thing I did from when I was a kid. So I can honestly say I'm living my dreams. Like that, that, that was my dream. I was, that was escapism for me. I was like able to put together a show and people applauding. And that was like, I was on cloud nine. Yes. So I went to the LA County high school for the arts and that I was, that was the first time I really was uh, subjected to ballet, okay. contemporary dance, modern dance. And I studied a little bit in high school. And then I got a scholarship for drama to the University of the Arts in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. Yes, I actually was accepted to a few um, theater departments. And then I ended up auditioning for the dance department halfway through my freshman year of college. Oh. But I, I went to college early. I was 17 when I went to college. So I really started professionally dancing at 17 years old. But mm -hmm. I was studying with... I didn't know who they were, but I came to realize how important my mentors in college were. I had to, I have to give University of the Arts props back then. I don't know how it is now, but the, the people who were teaching you dance were actually professionals working in the field, choreographing or setting works of Martha Graham, Horton, Ailey, yeah. you know, um, Ruthie Andrian, she's, she was teaching me modern, she was teaching me tailor technique and she's now the artistic director for the second company nice. of Taylor. And Pat Thomas taught me Graham and, um, Milton Myers taught me, uh, Horton mm -hmm. and I fell in love with modern dance. Yeah. Yes. Graham was never for me. I never had the hips. So I was like, <laughs> I'm going to leave that over there. I was naturally gifted, so it wasn't a struggle for me. So anatomically, I was born a dancer. I can honestly say I have a perfect first and fifth position <laughs> because like, of my I, hips. He's like, I'm a beast. Thanks. <laughs> Next question. I was born literally <laughs> with natural turnout, tall, all legs, mm -hmm. perfect feet. And so that's the reason why they took me and they shaped me and molded me for four years. And I graduated the top of my class in my sophomore year. I joined group motion dance company and Montre Fishbeck gave me a shot because he's, he had, I had him for improv, but I didn't, little did I know that by my junior year, I was going to be showing work all over Germany Wow! because the, the dancers in the company have to choreograph. And that becomes the repertory. So you choreograph and set whatever it is, a duet, a trio, a quartet, a quintet on the company members. Everyone has to be in each other's work and everyone in the company is a choreographer. So mm. everybody has to choreograph a piece. 
So that was the criteria back then to be in group motion. Not sure what's going on with the company now, but at a very early age, I got to show my work on tour and was starting to tour my junior and senior year. And then I moved to Paris and left the company to try to, um, I fell in love and I went to Paris for love and auditioned for Moulin Rouge and and my can-can wasn't high enough. (laughs) So the Australian guy got it and I didn't get my, you know, my kneecaps weren't bouncing off my forehead, but practically 80%. Okay. (laughs) My can-can was 80%. (laughs) But I swear to you, I was at the Moulin Rouge trying to get a job. And, you know, so uh, I I ended up uh, actually auditioning for a company called Richard Marotti. And it was a five-day audition. Five days? Five days. It was at least 500 people around the corner. And they were seeing, it was a cattle call. And, and it was a tour. They were going, it was a four-month rehearsal. Uh, period, and then they were going on a, a year-long world tour, and this was a company that had a lot of money. And in Europe, you know, as you know, the arts and dance, especially concert dance, has way more funding than it does in the United States. Right. Way more, and dance isn't a small little section of a, a quarter page, you know, in most editorials. But dance is often on the front page of the news in Europe, or at least in the first, you know, first five pages, you see, you know, dance and concert dance and classical uh, music. And, you know, they take, I think they take the art very, I don't know, they take it to the next level. That's when I was living there in Paris. So I got the job. Nice. I got the job. But Clinton was president, and there was a lot of bureaucracy going back and forth with French people working in the United States and American people working in France. Mm -hmm. So they had to end up, they didn't know this, but they ended up having to pay a $5,000 tax. Instead, I had to go back to the United States, go to the American consulate or the French consulate, get a carte de séjour and show that I got a job and try to process my paperwork. And so I left my love of my life, my first love, um, to come to New York and instantly fell in love with New York. I had a really close friend that was here. And it turns out that they didn't want to pay the tax and they hired someone else. So I ended up staying in New York and I went straight to Merce Cunningham and um, got into the repertory understudy company We started uh, working with the repertory understudy group. Then I got a scholarship to do my master's of fine arts at NYU. Went to NYU. Go Violets! Yes, and used it as a platform to uh, hone my choreography and knew then that's what I wanted to do. I I was remembering back to group motion saying, I want to be like Montreux. I want to collaborate with dancers. I want to produce work. I want to cultivate and collaborate multimedia, I want to work with composers. I, I knew back then I wanted to commission work. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was my fire. That was my gestalt. And I remember Phyllis Lamhut, she was my composition instructor, and she had this really shrill voice, and she was one of the original company members of Alwyn Nikolai. Phyllis Lamhut, I love you if you're out there listening to this. <laughs> but she said to me in this, how do you know the voice? She said, Eric, you 
can never stop making dance ever. <laughs> and she said that to me in my ear. It was like, you know, and that stayed with me. And yeah. she, she always talked about gestalt. And I always thought, wow, gestalt is like the guts of a work. She always wanted to see where's the fire? Where's the gestalt? Where's the guts of the work? Mm -hmm. And I brought that to the table. I knew my work went there. I, I wasn't afraid to be dark. I wasn't afraid to go to a place where I was vulnerable or scared. Mm -hmm. I thrived on those emotions and I started pumping out work and her words stayed with me for a long time. I, I, I don't know where my career would have turned to. I think I would have turned more towards a performance career and, okay. but instead I, um, I was in New York. I was, I was working in, in the nightlife with Patricia Fields and running with those kids and working at nightclubs and working at, as a event coordinator at a, a, a restaurant downtown in Tribeca. And then 9-11 happened and that changed everything. So I eventually got out of New York and went to Key West because my father was living there. And, okay. And I went there to heal. I went there for three months and I ended up meeting other dancers and artists on the island and we choreographed a piece which was a prayer to the world and that was a site-specific piece in Fort Zachary Taylor Beach. You're bringing me back. You're, you're asking me about my whole career. I <laughs> love it. Oh my God. This is amazing. Go yes. on. We started the piece inside the fort where the cannons, it was an old Spanish fort from like, I think the 1700s or 1800s. Um, Key West was, you know, the first point of contact to America. So I think they were fighting, using Fort Zachary Taylor as a way to fight with the Spanish Armada. I'm not sure what the history is exactly. I can't really remember, but it was a perfect backdrop for what served as our mission was to create a dance that was a prayer for the world. So it really started, I was on point. I was I did a solo on point yeah. in where the cannons are, like in the catacomb cannon area of the fort. And then the dance, I remember, moved out to the open field. And then it finished. We it went through the forest right before you got to the beach. And then it went out in into the water. We all went out into the water. And then we shed layers of clothing. And we put them... Uh, clothespin them to a, a line and we held the line across the jetty and all the audience was on the on the beach mm -hmm. and they're looking at it like what the hell are they doing they're taking off their clothes and putting it but what we were doing is creating that a kind of abstract tibetan prayer flag you know how in tibet they put those flags and it's kind of like a prayer to the world wherever they are like in the himalayas and tibet nepal and different countries like that with, the, with those beautiful. So anyway, that was the last tableau, the image that we, and I felt like I was able to process all the emotions of 9-11 mm -hmm. and heal. And then I moved back to New York and then slowly but surely, I think around 2002, I started co-collaborating with, I had two different companies and Though that didn't go well. <laughs> okay. And then I became a fiscally sponsored artist. And if there's any aspiring choreographers out there, 
become a fiscally sponsored artist at places like um, Fractured Atlas or New York Live Arts. I know that they offer um, individual artists and choreographers and art, uh, dance makers to, uh, to become a fiscally sponsored artist so you can accept donations as a nonprofit. Gotcha. That's what I did. And then slowly but surely, I was teaching Pilates. I was teaching, you know, I got certified and I was working in uh, rehabilitation and I was um, making dance. And I think uh, then I met this wonderful woman who was an attorney and her law firm said, took me on as a pro bono client. And I beca- and then I formed Eric Taylor Dance and it officially became a 501c3 yes. through her law firm. At Cadwallader, Wickersham, and Taft. I have to say props to them yeah. for doing that. She's at, now at a new law firm. But um, sh- uh, so I formed my dance company and then we're here sitting today. I mean, it's almost, I, yeah, I formed it in 2005 and it was officially a, a nonprofit in 2006. Yes. So a lot has happened since then, but that's kind of a flat, in a nutshell. Um, my dance career. <laughs> what a story. Wow. That is every, like, you covered so much. <laughs> okay. So now that we got the background, how are you managing all these parts? The entrepreneur, the artist, self-care. What are, how does that happen? Because there's a lot well, going on. I don't on. have a social life. <laughs> I'm married and my husband is an angel. He is just my biggest champion and I when I need to um hide from everything, I'm with my husband and he puts everything in perspective and help helps me. He reassures me a lot and so um but, I mean, we have a social life together and have friends right. and try to balance, but trying to balance everything. And, um, I sleep a lot. I have to sleep at least eight hours a day. That is minimum. Here for it. And oh, yes. I have to work out. And that is like an antidepressant for me. And it heals my mind, body, spirit, puts everything in alignment. And, what, and really, if I'm frustrated, I work out. You know, it's just the gym is my biggest um, savior. It's, you know, it's everything working out for me. It just puts, I can't stress it enough. Like, if you're struggling out there with even depression or anxiety mm-hmm. or anything that comes along with the New York City life, that uh, anxiousness, I just channel that into a workout and I feel like I can do anything after I, you know, work out and you feel good about yourself and your endorphins and then Keflons and everything is serotonin is kicking. So, yeah. I was just going to say, that's my favorite, that like post-workout high. Like, yes. oh my God, this yes. is amazing. Yes, you it's know? amazing. Yeah. I co-sign on all of the things that you just said. Yes. Wonderful. Yeah, so how, how I keep it all in balance is that um, I try not to sweat the small stuff. Yeah. And I try to meditate. Mm. I try to yeah. stay humble. I try to not expect too much because I'll always be disappointed if I'm expecting too much of my team members and to, you know, 
one of my biggest regrets right now is not spending more time with my family, especially in this time of crisis with the coronavirus and, you know, what really is critically important at the end of the day when something like a pandemic is happening. Your mom, your your brother, your sister, your partner, your lover, your husband, your wife, your sister, you, you know, that's really what is important at the end of the day to me more than anything more than my art more than um my portable ballet bar than burn bar <laughs> i because this coronavirus has put everything into perspective for me yeah because it's it's devastating so many families and and the world is i think in this fear-based thinking and, yeah you know they're coming from the, you know the I think with the media and the news and when you turn on the news, it's just makes you panic and you have to take a deep breath and at the end of the day, you just have to do what you should normally already be doing, right? which is washing your hands and (laughs) keeping surfaces clean Mm -hmm. and, you know, trying to um, stay away from sick people and cough into your arm, you know, the crook of your arm. But... I'm going off on a tangent. What? So <laughs> it's okay. Trying to balance, yeah. Trying to balance everything. I'm learning actually now that since the coronavirus came out in January, I'm working with China, and China stopped and halted all production. And really, we're at the point right right now where I was expecting 1,500 units in the United States, but because of the coronavirus. Everything has stopped. All manufacturing, freight, shipping, the the guys who take the product to the port, the truck drivers, the shippers, the yeah. factory people, the people in the office, all of that, they are all still quarantined. So I'm like six months behind already, mm, schedule, wow. and it's, um, I've had to just Un- unplug emotionally and not react from an emotional place because this is out of my control. Yeah. I have to say, Eric, stop. Like, yeah. this is what's essential here. Your bar is not critical to the world. Like, love and compassion is critical to the world right now. Healing is critical to the world. And family and friends and, you know, loved ones. But that's really what this whole thing has put into perspective for me. My mom is suffering from pancreatic cancer right now, and I just found out in November. And I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah, and it's just hard. You know, I, I found out when I was in Switzerland with my husband seeing his side of the family, mm-hmm. and, and I rushed back to, to California. She's in California in Rancho Mirage, and it's just been really... A struggle and then to have this epidemic come out on top of it mm-hmm. um, I, I I'm turning to right now to what makes what makes me able to cope is to make me more more work mm-hmm. to get back into the studio yeah. and to start creating and we're working on a new piece right now we're working awesome. yeah, last year we took the entire year to do earth which was a, a piece, a evening length work that used dance, um, original score. We had three composers, four guest choreographers. Oof. I, um, 
I was I conceived of the piece, produced it, directed it, and choreographed the first section and the seventh section. I had guest choreographers, um, and it was using dance and music as a way to address climate change and global global warming. To start a conversation through dance, and so we had five studio showings at uh, Martha Graham Dance theater yeah and we had a dialogue with the audience and so each section of the piece was we started from the big bang and the big bang was and then it was um earth is created man is born civilizations rise mother nature sends man forgets mother nature sends warnings Mm. and then man on life support Mm. it was earth on life support but earth isn't on life support Earth keeps going. Earth is changing. Earth is getting warmer. Mother Nature keeps evolving. And I originally thought it was Earth on life support, but no, it is man on life support. Mm. That's where we're headed. So that was the, the mission of the piece. And PBS and WNET, thank you guys for making a... An, a we were in an episode on a um, series called Climate Artists. And it was... So if you guys... Go on to All Arts and check it out or pbs.org and check out Earth by Eric Taylor Dance. It's a super cool piece. But this year we're just doing something totally fresh and totally new. And it's, um, it's a feel good piece. It's about love and, and, uh, relationships told through four pieces of music by Super Tramp. And I don't know if you know who Super Tramp is. I don't. You don't, but it's a, they're so cool from the seventies and it's just inc- incredible music to dance to. So, um, with everything that's going on, I think that that's my biggest savior is, you know, going into the studio with my dancers and, and, um, starting a new work. And that's how I'm coping right now. <laughs> it was so bad. I'm like, Oh, these stories are everything. <laughs> I wanted to go back. Um, but that's so true. I, I recently talked to another dancer who was having, uh, they lost a parent and, and I've, I've just been hearing that when I've been, I've been listening to stories and just thinking about the great foundation that you have built for yourself. Yes, to create your art, but the fact that you're like, you know, you already meditate and you work out and you you have this mindfulness put, Piece and so I think really having that 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 routine down for mm-hmm. yourself when everything's fine, mm-hmm. it kind of sets you up to be prepared when something does go wrong and you be able to you know deal with it in a healthy way. Absolutely. And so I love the fact that you mentioned that, um, and I you know I just wanted to also bring it back out because I'm you know I'm sure others can relate to that story and you know maybe they don't have some a routine set up for themselves so you know there that's something to think about you know there are mindfulness apps and you know just taking the time to figure out you know hey how do i want to um to maybe work out i feel like but i've also i've talked to dancers it's almost like anything that takes them away from dance is a threat mm-hmm. like i can't i can't cross train or string train or do something else because I have to be in the studio. And you know, something that I don't I don't know if dancers always think about is the fact that working out and string training it only enhances you. 
It only protects you and it makes you stronger. Absolutely. Right? Because you built this, this, this new strength, right? And now that only allows you to be able to do more things Mm -hmm. for the choreographer. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Or have more possibilities or be able to do more lifts or whatever. And, you know, hopefully if you're doing it in the correct way, you know, you're safer. You're not using those same muscles that you use all of the time anymore. You're, you're, you're developing other muscles, right? So you get, um, balance I'm, mm-hmm. I'm looking for. And so, you know, you've been in the game. So I love when the, those else yeah, say it. And, I, you know, it's not for me. It's from, you know, someone that's within the dance community right now. Right. Yes. I think balancing a ballet practice or, a, you know, a, a being in that dancer mode is, what you just said is totally correct. You know, having another practice like yoga or Pilates yeah. to balance out, you know, and to use, yeah, what, exactly what you said, other muscles, you know, because you tend to use the same muscle groups uh, when you're, you know, training or um, taking class. But yeah, I absolutely think diversify your foundation. Yeah. You know, it's only going to be stronger. That diversify your foundation. Yes. Love it. <laughs> okay, so hmm. being an artist and an entrepreneur, how what work have you done to keep your mindset in check? Exactly what we just talked about. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah, meditation, working out, drinking lots of water staying hydrated, um, taking time to smell the roses Mm. and not, and I think my biggest advice for an entrepreneur is to close your laptop and go out into the world, go out into the field, go meet people. That's the most critical thing that you can do is get out behind from the computer, put, get up, unplug and go talk to real people and stop with the social media and everything. I have been unplugged from social media personally since October. I haven't posted any personal stuff on social media. I used to love Instagram. and um, So now I have team members who are handling social media for me. My rehearsal director, Nicole, does the, dan- the social media for my dance company. And then Mason, he's an intern at my company for Burn Bar, and he does the social media for Burn Bar to at Burn Bar Technique and at Burn Bar. Um, and those are, con- I, I check on them once in a while. We use a software called Later, and it schedules out all the posts for like a month and a half. Nice. So I'll approve all the posts. So I'm not tempted to go onto Instagram. And social media, I think so many people hide behind their phones and hide behind their laptops and waste way too much time. Like you're saying, 80%, like, okay, make it 50% of the time. Go meet people. That's how you network. You're not going to network on LinkedIn. That only gets you so far. You got to go meet people out in the real world. You got to talk to other professionals. You have to talk with other like-minded people. Go to lectures. Go to um, concerts. Go to, if you're in the arts, go see arts. If you're a painter, go see painting exhibitions. Go talk to other artists in person. Stop with the social media already. I mean, people, I can't stand it when I go to restaurants and I see two people at a table on their phones. That's becoming a normal thing now. Yeah, 
guys. It's crazy. Even in the airports, like, there's no more waiters. You just order from an iPad. Everything is becoming social media and iPads and, you know. I know that's the future, and I know you can't survive without social media. I'm not saying not to use social media, because for branding, marketing, and for why wouldn't you use it? I mean, that's you'd be insane not to post ads uh, and and you know boost ads for your business. Instagram, you know, you have to you have to pay to play. You can't. You can post all you want. Not a lot of people are going to see it. Yeah. But if you want a lot of people to see it, you boost your ad, and we have marketing dollars to use those boosting tools, and you you get you know a bigger audience and it. So I do think social media is a, it's a good thing to, for branding and marketing and, and for people to find out about your business and to find out about whatever you're doing. It's, it's a great resource. And I'm not saying not to use it, but, but get out into the world and talk to people face to face. Like I hope that that's not becoming an archaic way of thinking, you know, people, um, I think, Deals are made in person. Yeah. They are. If you're looking for money and you're looking for startup costs and you're looking for, let's, let's get real. The person is going to have to meet you in person, not on Instagram. Say it. Okay. I'm telling you right now, I didn't get any of my grant funding without meeting people in person, you know, and my startup costs and everything. So, um, yeah, you got to have social skills and know how to talk to people and know how to network and be in the right place at the right time. So true. And I was like, you're talking to me. No. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, when I started the podcast, of course, you know, I had my mission of it being a resource, a free resource for dancers and a, and a place for them to express themselves and learn and grow. But I, I have to say the meeting in person and the conversations that I have, it has been the best part. Of course. Like this is yeah. my favorite. Yeah. And I have connected with so many people. I don't really know you. Yes. No. <laughs> like, but we met on LinkedIn. We met on LinkedIn. LinkedIn and yes. then I get here and I, I get and to hear your whole story and I'm sitting here like, y'all can't see my face. <laughs> But it's just like so inspiring and so amazing. And those things can't happen unless you go out and you start talking to people. Absolutely. So it's almost like, you know, I'm new in the entrepreneurship yes. game. I'm still learning and growing. And so, you know, that's what I'm doing now. I guess I was like, dang, I guess well, it's kind of like this podcast for, is. Yes. It's like, I, I didn't do it on purpose for that, but yeah. I guess. But no, it's a vehicle you for know? that. You know, it's, it's a platform to talk to people it's a wonderful thing that you're doing i really respect it and i think that you know the market that you're trying to tap into to gain insight into an industry that has little to no knowledge about taking care of the instrument that they're using which is their human body like dancers don't take care like what we were talking about before diversifying your foundation definitely you know and um, when you blink your eyes, 20 years will go by like that. Like literally living in New York, my biggest advice is to really take care of your body while you're young. Mm-hmm. It's preventative medicine. Preventative medicine is everything. Like injury prevention, you have, it's just like, um, 
like meditation, it's like going to the gym. If you're not working the bicep with a, a weight, you're not working like meditation is you're not working that attitudinal muscle inside of you. You know, everything is attitude. And if you have a good attitude, you will attract people to you. If you have a bad attitude, you will repel everyone around you. So everything is in your attitude and everything is in your instrument, your body. Everything has to be in alignment, body, mind, spirit, you know, and you have to laugh. That's my biggest advice. Yes. Don't forget to laugh. <laughs> you know what I That's mean? Right. People forget to laugh. Like, come on. Like, it's not all that, you know, we have to like learn how to laugh at ourselves and laugh, you know, with people and, you know, every, not make a joke of everything, of course, but you know, learn to lighten it up a little bit. Yeah. You know, I think that was a big regret that I have is that I took things so seriously and too personally. So my advice to to, pe- to artists out there is like, you know, stop with the ego-based thinking because behind ego is fear. Mm-hmm. And Say it again. <laughs> behind ego is fear. Fear-based thinking is not going to get you anywhere in life. Dropping keys yes. all night. I mean, and I tell that to my dancers all the time, too. When they're dancing, I said, if you're rehearsing something, you're marking something, you still got to do it with fire. Mm. Find your fire. That's my biggest mantra. For burn bar, that's the the mantra that goes, that's, that's the slogan. Find your fire. Feel the burn. Find your fire. Feel the burn with burn bar. Yeah, and that's mm. why I named burn bar, burn bar, because... Phyllis Lamhut, my um, composition teacher in NYU, I was talking with the high-pitched voice. <laughs> she always said, you know, um, she talked about fire, that gestalt. So, and I always say that to my dancers, find your fire. Where's your fire? Do you, come on. I'm not feeling it. I want you to be, I see, I feel some sparks, but I want a full-fledged fire. Yeah. You know, so that's what I, That those are my go-to words. And really, if you're using burn bar properly, you will be burning on fire. <laughs> Your muscles will be burning. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really why I called it burn bar, I, I, because it, it, I want pe- users to find their fire. And to when they use it, you know, to be so engaged in that muscle that, you know, you feel the burn within three seconds. If you're in the right alignment and you're engaging your glute in a tendu to the back mm. and you're pulsing it four times. If you're in proper alignment, you will feel that burn in four seconds. Yeah. If you're not feeling that burn, you're not doing it right. That's it. <laughs> that's it. I'm sorry. <laughs> and that's why I don't understand why people use chairs, walls, mounted bars, because it's about fingertip pressure only. A bar's there not for your as a crutch. It's there for you as a like as a little friend. Like you, that's why I always say like you know your bar is there for fingertip pressure only. Don't ever grip the bar. Yeah. Don't ever put weight on the bar. It's you know get in that alignment. Get pull your navel to spine in and up. Pilates, come on. Like yeah. you can do Pilates at the bar too. That's another thing that's great about the bar is that it is height adjustable. So we can, we lower it down and do an entire mat series with the bar, with our oh. heels up on the bar and using the window of 
of the top bar mm-hmm. to do Pilates exercise. It's like um, scissors, single leg stretch, double leg stretch, oh. and having a target so your legs aren't going all over the place. Using so you so you really have to be conscious and mindful that you're not hitting the sides of the bar because right. then you'll knock it over. And so we, we're working on it. So we have a, a burn bar technique that we're cultivating. Yes. <laughs> burn bar technique. Yes. Burn BBT bar coming yes. soon. <laughs> yes. BBT coming soon. Well, it's on Instagram. We have quite a few followers nice. on burn, at burn bar technique. Yeah. Love yeah. it. So we discussed a lot of things, a lot of aha moments you said. Can we talk about failures? Like your biggest failure and how it helped you grow? My, I think that's a good question. That's I, There's a lot of things where I thought I failed them, but I really didn't. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I think I have to say when I started out and knew that I wanted to have a dance company, mm-hmm. I had a pickup company with another. So it was there was two artistic directors. It was me and so and so, and we had we tried to do a company, but that failed mm-hmm. because there were two creative minds and two creative uh you can't have two artistic directors in a in a collective you you can i guess you have multiple creative directors as long as it's a collective i think knowing that i wanted my own dance company and then going into business early on with another person so you're it was more like a shared company right and shared credit i think though I'm glad I tried it, yeah. but ultimately I knew that I wanted to have my own dance company and be the the vision behind the company and not have to answer to anyone. That's the part I love about being an artistic director and having your own company, mm-hmm. you get your own schedule. You know, people can work remote now, so you don't have to have people in an office, although I'm lucky to have this office that we're in right now. And we do use it, and um, we use the studio downstairs. And um, for those of you um, who are listening right now, we're on Forty Second Street, <laughs> and there's it's no surprise that I ended up on Forty Second Street in Manhattan. Like that is a dream come true for me. I can honestly say, if I got hit by a bus, I hope I don't. <laughs> right. After this podcast, I can honestly say I've my I have lived my my dreams have come true. Nice. As a child, like you know, I'm living my dreams as a artistic director, producer. I commission. I hire. I fire. I you cultivate and manifest all the time. I'm always trying to. Um, if I don't have a project I'm working on, then something's wrong. So, and I'm always thinking ahead too. But I think, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't call those company shared companies failures. They were a lesson for me to learn yeah. and a stepping stone to get to where I am right now. Most definitely. Yeah. I think I'm going to start changing that question to your biggest learning experience. Yes. Right? Because that's what it leads to. They're just yeah. learning experiences and they, they get you to where you want to go. Yeah. What beautiful. Yeah. I want to meet you when I everything. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay. So what advice would present day Eric... Give Eric, you've done so many things. When you first started choreographing, me, 
when I first started choreographing, I'm actually twice one one for the artistic side and one for the entrepreneur side. Uh huh. So I'm just letting you know. Yeah. Um, what would I tell my younger self as as an artist? As an artist, to not sweat the small stuff mm-hmm. and to not worry about what other people think so much about cr- the critics. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. The critics. Like, don't sweat it. Because I didn't learn until later in life, Andy Warhol said, it. you measure it in inches. You get a good review, you get a bad review. Mm-hmm. Don't let the bad reviews get you down. You have to be able to endure a bad review. And Lord knows I've had some bad reviews, but I prevented it from make that it stopped me in my tracks for almost two years it paralyzed me with fear to get a bad review so i would say my to my former younger self measure it in inches as long as they're talking about you that's what andy warhol said he said literally as long as they're saying your name it doesn't matter just as long as they're talking about you then you know you're relevant. So I would say definitely not worry about the critics. And, you know, that those, when I look back on bad reviews that I've received, and I've received plenty of good reviews and awards and accolades and stuff, um, but it's funny how we, um, as artists, obsess on the bad reviews, you know. I would say um, don't read a review if you have a <laughs> a long show, mm. a run of, of you know, come if you have a week long show, go you know up, and the review comes out on the fr- after the first night on opening night. I would just say don't read anything until you're done with the show because that was a big learning experience for me. You know, I let that stuff bother me too much. And it can bother people. It stops it stops people on their tracks in their professional career. So if they write bad reviews about you out there, let it go. Okay, that's all I have to say. Let it go. This is someone needed to hear that. As I have friends now, and it's like, the reviews are up, and they just go, and I'm just like, right, but just yes, you know, calm down. It's all good. So same question mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur. As an entrepreneur, I've, well, I don't know. I mean, I do consider myself an entrepreneur in the sense that um, I've started this dance program, ETD Outreach. Okay. And if people want to know mo- more about ETD Outreach, they can find me, find us online at etdoutreach.org or at ETD Outreach. And, um, and that, I feel very entrepreneurial in that sense because I created a program, like I was saying earlier, that uses dance as a way to inspire and heal. And we've taught so many demographics. Yeah. Um, I think that is probably the most rewarding of the three kind of businesses that I'm running. ETD Outreach operates under the umbrella of Eric Taylor Dance. Okay. It's just one arm of my dance company. Gotcha. So there is, it's the creative Eric Taylor Dance umbrella, and then ETD Outreach actually earns enough money so that we don't have to rely on grants, funding, begging patrons and board members and all that's wonderful and that comes in 
but my company can function annually without being a pickup company or just like, you know, project to project. It's not that. We have a fully functional company. The company members aren't in the studio every single day of the week, but operations are going. And this outreach program is now at 25 locations. So it's 25 workshops a week in the Bronx, Queens, Brooklyn, Manhattan, everything from yoga, bachata, salsa, rumba, merengue. We do Afro-Caribbean. We do dance hall, hip hop. We do yoga, Pilates, we do ballet, we do bar. It's just crazy. Awesome, what? And so that is just like my, it makes me feel so great that, and I think, wow, we can't, we can't sign contracts fast enough that this coronavirus thing is really freaking me out in the sense that I hope those workshops aren't taken away from people who live at their sites. The participants who take our workshop usually live on site. So mm-hmm. we, we bring our programming to wherever is needed. Right. And so, um, and they, they fund the program through the city or the state, or um, if our program is at a site long enough, it's billed through state funding like Medicaid and Medicare and, mm, you know, so that's wonderful to yeah. know that that your work is being um, part of protocol for someone who's, and we work with all demographics. So severely mentally ill to people who have compromised immune systems to people who are in and out of drug addiction, in and out of jail, formerly homeless dual triple quadruple diagnoses we're uh, people who are undergoing chemo people who are we're do, we're working with uh, foster kids we're working nice. with all demographics really um and that's where my real passion lies is, is i'm not really interested in teaching dance to dancers i'm not really a big on te- myself teaching dance i have a team of instructors that are incredible they are so talented and they represent ETD outreach all over New York. And I hope it expands as the entrepreneur in me. I wanted to expand to Westchester, all through New York state, and then all the tri-state area and then to Florida and all the way to California and hopefully around the world. I think people underestimate the power of dance. It is our first language. It's primordial. It's how we communicate. It's what makes us have fun. It's what puts smiles on people's faces. It makes you think. It makes you, um, I think, you know, and, and it's all in the testimonials. Mm-hmm. People, people testify and about the program and they're very protective of the program. And, um, you know, some sites say, oh, well, we've had enough. And the participants are like, no, 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 This is not going away. <laughs> you, know? you tried so, it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, it, you know, it, it's, it's powerful. I would say to the product venture that I'm in now, mm-hmm. it's a single SKU product. It's, a, it's, um, but it's been extremely difficult learning, uh, that business of, of um, a startup company. It's been, uh, and I think for anyone out there who is uh, 
an entrepreneur and trying to sell a product or invented something, shop around for your attorneys and shop around, shop around, shop around. I'm telling you, get advice from multiple people. Don't go with the first person that you find or was referred to. Don't just talk to one lawyer. Talk to four attorneys. Interview them. You know, do your research. Look at their reviews. Look at who they are. Do your due diligence. Don't just say, oh, this must be fate. I'm meeting this person and they must be great. But then you're $10,000 in the hole with an attorney. So that has been the biggest learning experience yeah. for me is um, the legal part of, of running a startup and the legal part of, of um, running a 501c3. There's a lot of compliance. Right. And the more money you're making, the bigger the audit is with the IRS every year and filing a 990 and, you know, and, and it's, it's the dance company. Um, I think we distributed 40 1099s. So we had 40 independent contractors working for our company last year. And then for the startup, I think I gave out at least 17 1099s. So that I have a big team. Yeah. I have a wonderful, uh, wonderful support. And, um, but you know, I guess that project is on hold right now with everything that's going on and, um, and it will come out when it's supposed to be come out. I mean, it's ready to go, but, um, but you know, Burn Bar will definitely make its appearance when it's supposed to be, you know, it, it, it's here. It's, you know, I have 50 of them here in this office. Um, and we do pop-up events and it's still going. It's just, um, this is half this pandemic is happening and I can't do anything about it. So, but, um, so that's the most frustrating thing right now. It's just having to put operations on hold, but I have my dance company. So I'm focusing on that. Wow. Right now. Yeah. And once you get through that, you can, what else can you not get through after that? You know exactly. what I mean? Like. Exactly. Another learning experience to only make you stronger. Exactly. Oh, yeah. I love it. Last, well, you kind of covered it already. <laughs> I was going to say, what advice would you give an artist who's looking to follow in your footsteps? It's ask questions and interview people. Go out into the field, like I just said, close your laptop. Go meet people. Go talk to professionals. They like it. They like it. You're not bugging people. You aren't bugging them. They want to be talked to. They want people to ask them advice. Free advice is out there. Make an appointment. Do what you're doing. Have a podcast. That's what I would tell artists. Get information and, you know, do your due diligence and, you know, um, do your research and... Hire an intern, you know, pay for their Metro card. You can't do everything yourself. You can't. You ha you should try to do everything yourself and save some money, but you, you can't do everything yourself. I, that's what I've learned. And that's what I would tell an artist is that, you know, um, I, it is all about money and you got to save money, but you can also put an ad on LinkedIn saying you're looking for an intern to, help with a project or whatever you're doing, whatever it is you're doing, ask for help. You know, that's my, that's the hardest thing for me to do is ask for help. <laughs> but on that note, I have learned to ask for help. And 
You are out here preaching. Do you know? It's not about me. But when you said that, I used to have that exact thought. And my mother would push me to like to talk to people. And I'm like, they don't want to, they don't, they have busy. Yeah. They don't want to be bothered with me. That's just fear. That's fear. And it's even funnier. I, I'm not going to say her name until it happens. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I had uh, someone famous and, and they responded to uh, something I posted about them on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And I am like freaking out. I call my mom and I'm like, oh my God, this person, they, they DM'd me back. And my mother was like, ask her to be on the podcast. Yeah. And I was just like, no, she would never do that. But I listened to my mom and she said, yes, my schedule is busy, but we'll make it happen. It hasn't happened yet. But it will. But I'm being patient. And, and I just thought about the, like... Friendly reminders go a long way, too. <laughs> friendly reminders. Yeah. That's big advice out there, everyone listening. Friendly reminders, because people have a lot on their minds, yeah. a lot on their plate. It's New York City. People are coming and going. Left and right, there's multitasking galore. Look at my... Post-it notes yeah, everywhere. Post-it notes everywhere. My yes. vision board and... Yeah, I I would say, too, to artists who are trying to create something or manifest something, Oprah told it, one of her talk shows, she said, she talked about a vision board. And I was like, wow, what's a vision board? And she said, you know, go through magazines and cut out what you want in life, where you want to go, what do you want to be, where do you want to do, where... You know, and I literally did that with magazines at very low, low points in my life. I've had, I've had a lot of depression and, um, some low points in my life. And, um, but Oprah was a big, she helped me a lot. I watched her show and she, it was always all, all she was preaching back then and about self-help. You right. know, everything was self-help and, um, and so I, I did create vision boards. I, I would cut out Cambodia, like Angkor Wat, and put it on there and put, um, Buddha, like Buddha sculptures from Thailand and, uh, a dance studio and, you know, um, a, uh, a beautiful condo and beautiful, you know, things what, that I wanted to achieve in my life. And literally she said, put that thing away, put it away and it's, it's there. It's tangible. It's on something. And pull it out a year from now and see how many things on it came true. And mm. I literally took it out from underneath my bed like a year and a half later. And almost everything on that thing came true. It's crazy. I don't know what, what it is. But it's a vision board. If, you, if people out there are listening... Like, put a vision board together. Actually do it. Like, get a blank canvas, you know, stretched canvas, and glue whatever you want to manifest in life. It's, you know, and it's it's uh, it's pretty powerful. So, it's interesting. So, I know about vision boards, and I have many friends that are like, oh, let's have a vision board party, and I just never got into it. No. But, like, that story, I'm like, hmm, maybe I need to go do a vision board. Maybe I commit to it. <laughs> Yeah. I'm going to email you about it. I'm like, so I did it. <laughs> you were right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 
So where can the people find you? I know you've mentioned a few things across, but you know, tie it back up. Your, your websites, your social media, the whole nine. Where can the people find sure, you? Sure, yes. Where can you find Eric Taylor Dance? You can find us online at etd.nyc. It's a very easy website, etd.nyc. And on Instagram, you can find us at Eric Taylor Dance. It's E-R-Y-C Taylor Dance. So it's Eric with a Y Taylor Dance. And then our uh, outreach program is at ETD Outreach and the website for our outreach. So if you, anyone out there wants to book a free workshop, we do the first trial workshop for free mm-hmm. at any site, anywhere. If you want to book a dance program and you're interested in hosting a dance workshop or and yoga or any kind of, uh, we, we can do anything. I have an awesome team of instructors. Um, and if people are looking for a dance program out there, you can find us online at etdoutreach.org. Nice. Yes. So that's where you can find us. Nice. We start? No burn bar? No? Oh, burn bar. Yes. Okay. I mean, it's oh not now, gosh. but later in but the future. No, Burnbar.com. Burnbar.com yes. and the Instagram. You said Burnbar Technique? At Burnbar Technique and at Burnbar. Gotcha. Yes. We are still online. We're still live and it is coming. It's just this pandemic needs to wrap it up. Wrap, and, and, wrap that up. And then uh, we'll, we're, we'll be good to go. Yeah. And, yeah. Equinox is on board. So they, they want to buy some Burnbar. Yeah. E Madison location up on the Upper East Side. So we did a test run there and they loved it. So they're going to start at that club and um, they're waiting. And uh, yeah, I have orders to fill. I've, I've, I've taken pre-orders and have orders to fill. So we'll see what happens and what's in the sto- in store for Burn Bar and when. And um, if there's anyone out there interested in Getting involved with um, Burn Bar, I'm looking for people to come on board as ambassadors, investors, partners, um, and we were just—I was just asked to be on Dragons Den, which is England's version of Shark Tank, and it's actually been around longer than Shark Tank, Ooh. called Dragons Den. And because of what's going on with my family right now, with my mom, I w- wasn't able to commit to the show, and it's actually. And then this whole virus thing came out. Right. And um, so they still do want me on the show, but I'm going to be on the next season. Okay. Not this coming season, but the following season. So that's in store. And Shark Tank is probably in store for me. Yeah. And, um, yeah, if anyone wants to teach bar, email me. My, um, yeah, or DM me um, at Eric Taylor on Instagram and at Burn Bar and at Burn Bar Technique. If you are not inspired by this man, there's something wrong with you. Like, (laughs) I've been sitting here like, oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Thank you for taking the time out of your extremely busy schedule. Absolutely. To sit here and so see, what? This is amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, God. Good luck to you. Thank you. Well, I want to thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the Art of Body Language podcast. And we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Art of Body Language podcast. 
I truly appreciate you taking the time to listen to my show. If you enjoyed this episode and you believe it would benefit an artist that you know, please be sure to share it with them. As always, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at smile underscore love underscore lift. If you'd like to connect further, you can also email me at theartofbodylanguage at gmail.com. Thank you, and make sure to tune in to our next episode. Have a beautiful day.